Welcome everybody, I'm Jared, he's DJ, and this is Number One Bullshit. Alright, so the fight I think everyone is talking about today, we have JDM, Jack Della Maddalena versus Twins Basil, Hafez at Welterweight. I don't think that went the way anybody expected, except for maybe Basel or Basil and his boys. Yeah, dude. I was like, I mean, I felt like Jack Del, uh, Jack won. Yeah. But it was like your, your boy showed up to a fight. And like, I think we talked about, I don't remember if we talked about it necessarily on the podcast or on the phone, but this is what you do. If you're fighting somebody that's supposed to beat you, you get another fight this way, right? Oh, so yeah. good for him. Um, Stupid close fight. Stupid close fight. Your boy has a chin, right? Like the fact that Jack was just like holding his wrist and just straight rights to the face repeatedly was absolutely brutal. And especially considering how drawn out he looked at the weigh-ins, how, uh, I mean, he didn't make weight the first time, had to come back to make weight. So just the for his chin to hold up like that on a tough weight cut short notice uh, I'm really impressive right like that's but that's the level of talent that's outside of the UFC at this point right like it's so awesome that the sport is coming along like that expose some stuff for Jack Della right yep. like that makes you wonder if the Sean Brady fight happened ooh probably not not too good for old old Jackie D yeah especially because he got hit and I don't, I don't see I don't remember Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't remember ever getting wobbled, but he got hurt, right? Yeah. So it's like, you know, when you when you take the chance of getting hit, you take the chance of getting knocked out. Man. And he got hit a lot. Like, yeah, even he kind of seemed like, I guess I won. You know, like, good thing I won this one because huge risk for him against <laughs> a guy that. But man, I mean, he looked good though. It, it was a great fight. Yeah, awesome fight. <laughs> what he said in the post fight to uh, uh, Cormier was hilarious. Where he's like, "I know the judges make d- bad decisions sometimes, so I knew I had a chance." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't <laughs> even hear awesome. that. That's hilarious. And one thing he said wasn't an issue, but I, I don't know how it couldn't be. Was the two weight cuts in one week, right? Like, just you're, you're out of your element. You're going to. Vegas expecting to be on the pay-per-view that doesn't happen you stick around you get another fight you you know how much does all of that outside of the octagon play into things you know he did say he was really trying to get the early finish uh, and that he kind of punched himself out a little bit I'll tell you one thing though he has to break that habit of jumping the guillotine all right because like second round he's he's beating the shit out of Hafez and then tries to jump the guillotine and one, granted, Hafez did nothing with that position. I don't think. I don't think he did anything personally. I agree. But one judge did, right? One judge gave him the second round based on control, which supposedly they're not supposed to do anymore. Uh, but he did, right? So you are really risking it when if you don't have like a team alpha male type guillotine, you know, like don't be jumping to that, especially when your game is body work. The boxing, I mean, his boxing still looked crisp, right? He did get hit more than than you would like in, in a situation like that. But 
I mean, there was times where he was just brutalizing the body, and you see Hafez just take a step back, like, oh shit. You yeah, know? it was. It was. It, you're, you're absolutely right because, yeah, he was beating his ass. Mm-hmm. He was beating his ass. Um, but once again, I mean, I honestly expected to go into last night and then come talk about the podcast about like, okay, Jack Della, Mo- say his name. Yeah, Jack Della Modelino. Della JDM. Mala- yeah, JDM. Uh, kind of like just showing out, and the fact that we're even talking about Hafez, it's like. I'm excited to see Hafez's next fight. You yeah. know, uh, obviously JDM, we're going to mm-hmm. be excited to see him, but it's like Hafez did that on five days. Um, and I kind of want to circle back to your comment about weight cuts. I, he might say that, but there's just no way you see how miserable some of these weight cuts are and you're doing them that frequently. Um, it's got to play a part, but I'm not a fighter. I'm maybe it didn't maybe, it, or maybe he doesn't want to use it as an excuse, but I mean, he, he 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 got the dub, but it was that was a tough one. That was yeah, a tough hype, one. hype train derailed a little bit, right? Like that's while still getting a win, a hype train derailed a little bit. Now, granted, one time performance. Who who knows? And and that's what's really interesting to me. We're gonna learn a lot about him based on the next performance, right? Like his next fight is gonna tell us a lot because at that point, we're gonna have an idea. Does he work on? Yeah, you know, the fight IQ, the jump, jump into the guillotine because he defended like 14 takedowns or something like that. It's not like he was just getting taken down at will. Most of the takedowns were coming when he was in on the leg and he was jumping to the guillotine. But we're going to see if he shores that up, right? If it really was a matter of different opponents and multiple weight cuts, we're going to know. If I'm his camp, I don't want to rebook Sean Brady at this point. Especially because um, yeah. he wants to fight in Australia soon. So I don't know if he can even have that fight with how long it'll take Brady to recover. But if I'm him, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. We, don't, we don't need to do that. Well, and obviously, Styles may fight whatever matchups. And and maybe when you're training for somebody, it's a little bit easier. Maybe you show up when you're training for somebody. Um, because the reason to your comment, the reason why it is kind of like exposure, because when Hamzat fought uh, Gilbert, mm-hmm. it was top five per and you're like okay yes. well this is what happens and it's this guy's a guy that not five days notice so yeah so it's like yeah a little exposure but also maybe he fights brady he has a game plan maybe they saw something didn't have enough time so you don't want to I, I know you're not counting him out but yeah you're kind of like okay well what happens when you get to the upper echelon of people that yeah. you know that are a little, little bit more i don't know like you know higher yeah, and, and the the ultimate gatekeeper fight that we talk about all the time at 170, let him fight Neil Magny, right? Because yes. Neil Magny is going to have that grinding on the cage style. He's going to try to wear you out. Like, Della Maddalena was tired by the end of the three-round fight. So I think you you pair him up with Magny, right? Magny's going to be game, but he's going to try to make you fight his fight. And I now I want to see, can Della Maddalena impose his will? on somebody like Magni was like, no, we're not doing that bullshit. I'm not grappling on the cage. We're going to stand here and box. So that, to me, that's the fight now that I want to see. Uh, still, we'll watch him fight anybody, but like as far as learning about him on his rise up, I think Magni's the fight that's going to tell us a lot. For sure. I agree. And then from fight of the night to what should have been fight of the night, but it was on the prelims, so the guys on the prelims, Always get screwed over when it comes to fight of the night. Uh, unfortunately, was Evan Elder versus uh, Hinaro Valdez. 
just a fun fight. Both guys got dropped. Both guys got hurt. I mean, it's like that is the perfect type of fight for a fight night card, right? Because going into this, very few people knew who either one of these guys was, but they put on a great performance. It makes you want to see both guys again. Valdez, unfortunately, that's three in a row he's lost, but he's game, right? Like he comes to fight. And Evan Elder has one of the weirdest stories as far as the UFC goes. He was 7-0. and uh, made his debut on short notice at welterweight, lost that fight, then came back, had a full camp, fought at lightweight, his natural weight class against uh, Nazim Tsaitikov, who we're going to talk about here in a minute, was beating him for two rounds up on all three judges' scorecards after two rounds, gets a cut in the third, fight gets stopped for the cut. Yep. Right? And then he comes back and goes to absolute war, I mean, every time he was touching Valdez, like his face afterwards was fucked up, right? I mean, just like bruised it. Yeah, it was bad. So I'll watch. I'll watch both these guys fight anybody. I think I'm excited, more excited for Evan Elder though. I want to know now. Okay, let's see this guy with full training camps at his normal weight class at lightweight. What is that ceiling? How can you know? How high can this guy rise? Judging was a little weird. You had two 29-28s and then one 30-26. 30-26 is wild. Yeah, I didn't I just didn't see a 10-8 round. I think it I think they said it was the third was the one that they gave him the 10-8. I just I didn't see that, right? Like the did he win that round? Yes. I just I don't know. I felt it was a little liberal with the 10-8. That was Adelaide Bird that gave that one. He's also the only judge that gave Elder round two. Uh so you know, not a consensus there from the judges, but Evan Elder, next time you fight, I'll love, you know, I'll, I'll watch it. Love to yeah, see it. Sure. He's also from Hillsboro, Missouri. Uh, when I was coaching football, we recruited a kid out of Hillsboro uh, who was, he was a scrapper himself. That's a story nice. for another time where he <laughs> got into a fight with a, a, a drunk and a steak and shake. Uh, but so apparently that's how they breed him out there in Hillsboro. Uh, but awesome. Evan Elder. Want to see well, you sign him, again. sign him to the UFC, man. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, and then to kind of go off on a tangent a little bit, still talking the fights, but one of the reasons I think both you and I love MMA is the you're gonna see shit that you never have seen before or you see very rarely. And there was a lot of that last night, right? Like we had the early on the Evan Elder Hanaro Valdez fight, which was a great fight, but you had five straight decisions to start the card, which like Say what you want about Holly Holm on a Holly Holm headlined card. It's like, ah, come on. <laughs> like, we know we're yeah. going to get a bunch of decisions here now. Uh, but then you have one of the worst dislocated elbows I've ever seen in my life. You had Victoria Dudikova making her uh, her UFC debut against Estella Nunez. And on that takedown, when she went to post, when Nunez went to post on the arm, I mean, immediately just start shrieking in pain. It was like yeah. haunting. You know, yeah. I haven't. I won't say I haven't seen that before because that that occurred with uh, Shogun Hua uh, in one of his fights back in Pride. But, I mean, it was disgusting. If you want to see it, I don't know if you saw the x-ray. Um, fully, fully dislocated. I mean, just completely out. It was disgusting. Uh, you can go check out our Twitter at number one BS pod uh, to, to see a picture of that. But I mean, just completely dislocated. You you got to feel for Nunez I mean, to an extent. You also have to feel for Dudikova, right? Here's her big opportunity to make her debut in the UFC. And she goes for a takedown and there's just an unfortunate injury. And then when Nunez was walking out of the cage and you could see the elbow still out, like, oh, I almost threw up. 
it's that so was, gross. It's yeah, it was so, so gross. gross. Um, hopefully a speedy recovery for Nunez because that, that was disgusting. Uh, and then uh, starting on the main card, something that was just really not usual. Uh, we had that Terrence McKinney, Nazim Sidekov fight, which you picked it. You called it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. Um, oh, good man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which if you didn't see our fight picks, once again, Friday nights, we drop those on Twitter at number one BS pod. Uh, but when he rolled to go for the rear naked and got McKinney's arm trapped behind him and like the cop hold, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, the arm completely behind him. Uh, you can't fight the hands when you only got one hand to fight with. Uh, you know, I've seen the arm getting trapped on like with the body triangle on rear naked, like when guys are sitting, things like that. I've never seen it trapped behind the back in a scramble in order to lock that up. That's uh they're doing something special at Sarah Longo, right? Like I know yes. you're not a big Sarah Longo fan, uh, but their camp, right? You got Aljo, you got Marab, you got Steamroller, Matt Fravola, uh, and now you know Nazim Sidikov. There's just they're it's kind of like the new alpha male where they're breeding like little angry people that, that are just and and and, and they have that iron sharpens iron type of mentality. Like it's it's you have good coaching for decades now, right? They they are tried and it's just sometimes you have the talent that goes with it, right? It doesn't matter how good you coach if someone can't show up, your guys are showing up and it's awesome to see. And it, it's, it's cool to see like everybody back each other. I know they're a camp, but I mean, they're, they're a group of little killers over there, dude. Yes. Yeah. yeah so I, awesome. I mean, Sidekov could be a problem for people. Right. And yeah, especially he's training with, with Matt Favola every single, every single day. Right. And we see what that did for Marab's game. You know, working with with Aljo every single day, and it's not like Frivola's a, a championship guy at this point in his career, but he's a top fifteen fighter. He's a for really sure. solid fighter, uh, and that had to be kind of nice for them to get that back after Frivola got knocked out very quickly by McKinney in McKinney's debut. Uh, so that's got to be a good one. McKinney's a guy he he has not lived up to the hype yet. You know, here here's an All American wrestler. Uh, I think he was a multiple time All American D two All American wrestler. Obviously has you know, one touch put you out power as we saw in his UFC debut. He's got to start putting that it all together uh, because it's very up and down. Now, Sidikov, we talked earlier, he was losing to Evan Elder in that fight, gets the cut. And sometimes that is like that moment, right? Where sure. things, the stroke of luck, things go your way. And from that point on, it's off to the races, right? And so, Definitely, definitely want to see him fight again. Uh, he did say he wants to get on that New York card because uh, he is you know, Sarah Longo. He's from, yeah, Sarah from Longo. that area. Yeah. And then something else uh, that I have not seen uh, before. Now, I have seen people run when yeah. they get hit in the cage. We saw Brock Lesnar do it uh, in the CJ Vergara Lacerdo fight. We saw it happen, but they're running circular, like kind of around the cage to get away to reset. I've never seen somebody get tagged turn and sprint and just slam into the wall. She just like she turned and like it. sprinted into the post. It was you really thought it was strange. me fighting dude. Like, you know, <laughs> like, and, 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 but here's the crazy thing. Like, okay, I'm not tough. So, but I, I'm not comparing myself to fighters. These are fighters. So you have this thing where like, they're tougher than you. Right. Yeah. And you see it and it's like, wow, you don't see that. But then you recovered, you know, it's like, it worked. Yeah. It yeah, worked. It, it definitely worked. Probably didn't work for her popularity. Um, <laughs> and, and the other thing is like, you're from Stockton, right? Like you're from I the 209. Know, you can't I be turning and running like and, that. And, and not only that, but you also lose. It's like, 
if you do that and you win, it's like, well, yeah, I had to recover. <laughs> but it's like now you did that and you lost. It's, it, the optics aren't good, but who, who knows what would happen if she would try to stay and like yeah. uh, pound it out. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, and and the thing is too, like she took other shots later on. And that wasn't the response, you, you know. So, like, I wonder what it was at that moment that led to like, ah, <laughs> you know, like I'm just about fi- to do it. <laughs> yeah. The fight or flight, and I'm flying. You know, like <laughs> yeah. uh, that was uh, interesting. Once again, part of the reason we we watch fights, right? Like, not to see people run away, but like you see shit you've never seen before on any given card, right? Like this was the card everyone was talking about. Like, yeah, we can pass over this one. Hey, tune in. You're gonna see some shit you've never seen before. As far as Norma Dumont, like the weird part about this, it was a featherweight fight. Both of these women are ranked at bantamweight, so why not just do it at bantamweight? I know Dumont has talked openly about, like, keep the featherweight division. I want to be the face of featherweight. She has more wins at featherweight than anybody else in UFC history. Uh, That includes Cyborg. That includes Amanda Nunes. But there's just not enough fighters. Uh, You know, if Dumont, and she's fought at 135 before. I don't know if she was really killing herself to do it. Uh, I don't know if she can healthily cut 10 more pounds, uh, just like the lower body, you know, like that. that's going to be hard to cut weight. Um, but I think her her future, she either has to go to another organization like a PFL or a Bellator that has a legitimate 145 division, like there's going to be fights for her or drop the weight and go to 135. And that's what I'm thinking too. Like the 145 pound division, it just doesn't have anything going for it. Like we can pretend all we want, but how many matchups do are there really? You want to be the face of something that's cool, but to be the face of something, you got to have you got to have a little bit more. Not 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 saying she doesn't have the it factor, but you got to have something else around you, and yeah. it's just not going to happen. That division is just not going to happen. Let it go. Yeah, and especially like if if the Bellator PFL merger goes on that they've been talking about, like now you have a very legitimate deep women's 145 division right because those are the two that that consistently put on fights so you know don't don't ever want to see somebody leave especially somebody that that's on a a good streak and is winning uh but i just don't see a future at at featherweight in the ufc Uh, going to the future uh some of the prospects from last night one of the guys we talked about last week uh mel Kizael, or we'll just call him Melk Costa. Uh, he was fighting Austin Lingo. Was really interested to see this fight because he had a short notice debut against Tiago Moises, up a weight class, and just it looked like he was fighting up a weight class and did, you know didn't have a full camp. So I wanted to see what he looked like with a full camp because he had shown a really exciting kicking game in his other fights, you know, outside of the UFC, and it translated because yep. he brutalized Austin Lingo's body. Uh, There was multiple times where like Lingo just stepped back. At one point, Lingo kind of went full Tony Ferguson Gaethje where he was just like staring off into space. Like I don't even know what he was looking at. And he's standing in front of Costa, just kind of like looking elsewhere. Uh, No clue what was going on there. Uh, Austin Lingo's tough as they come because there was times where you saw his body start to shut down from the liver shots and he just toughed it out. I want to see Costa fight again, right? Absolutely. Like a, a kicking game like that. Um, and then another featherweight uh, striker that got their name out there a little bit in our <laughs> featured prelim, uh, Melzik Bagdasarian fighting Tucker Lutz. Now, the poll this last week, you guys did get it right. 86% picked uh, Bagdasarian. So 
good on y'all for that. But fun striker, right? The guy's throwing axe kicks. He's throwing all kinds of crazy kicks. Fun to watch. He has to learn the cage grappling because Tucker Lutz couldn't really take him down the center of the cage. You know, he had a good sprawl. He was digging the underhooks. But once it got to the cage, it looked like he didn't understand the techniques needed to either stay on his feet or build back up to his feet. Right. Like the times he was getting back to his feet, a lot of it was just muscling up. Yeah. Uh, but he's a guy, you know, almost, and he's not Wonder Boy. I'm not saying that, but almost like a Wonder Boy. Like, let's just get this guy against kickboxers and, and watch them fight each other with four ounce gloves in a cage. Uh, why not have him fight Melk Costa? Right. Same, same weight class, fun kicking game there. Uh, would like to see that uh, not in the apex and in like a big cage so they have room to kind of yeah. move and, and do all that. But I think that's a, that could be a fun fight because as of now, Bagdasarian does not have the skill set, the well-rounded skill set to continue to move up and fight higher level competition just because like Bryce Mitchell fights at 145, right? JSP fights at 145. Like you're not getting past those guys without, no, without no, grappling, no. Uh, but you could have some fun fights with some kickboxers. I'll, I'll yeah, watch yeah. it. And then some other fighters that made a name for themselves, uh, the Iron Turtle, which is one of my favorite nicknames. I know I say that every week because there's some pretty badass nicknames in the UFC. Uh, <laughs> but the man kind of looks like a turtle. Uh, and go. definitely Iron Chin. He was getting, I mean, full-on just overhand rights to to the jaw and did Ooh. not care. He puts a pace on people. He's constantly moving. Yeah, you picked this one too. I know, I know. And we'll recap it on the f update of what the standings are now yeah, uh, just look at my side of the column when you guys want to see who's going to win it's okay. yeah yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk we'll talk more <laughs> about it uh but just the you know i thought Dariah was was done when he got dropped he went you know face down ass up <laughs> like you know my the the dude went down it looked bad uh but iron turtle very quietly seven and two in the ufc with a four fight win streak the yep. only middleweight fighter with a longer win streak than him right now uh, is still Knox. Doesn't ring the doorbell. Uh, Drickus Duplessis. <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty good company, right? And for sure, if you're putting that pace on people, you don't always have to be the most skilled. And I'm not saying Park isn't skilled because obviously he is, right? And dancing too, the little celebratory dance. I was just about to say his dance moves are. Second to none, you know, like yeah. maybe well, Shevchenko then, yeah, then him, you know. Well, and Slava Claus would have something to say about that too. Fair, fair. Yeah, uh, different Sorry, weight Slava classes Claus. though. Yeah, so maybe yeah. pound for pound, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I want to see him get tested now, right? That's four in a row for for the Iron Turtle. And if you're putting that pace on people, you're going to win fights where you are outskilled, not outclassed, but outskilled. And so I want to see how far he can go you know does he get a top 15 next just having that kind of a win streak if so i don't think you can give him anybody 10 or above and everyone else no, uh, no, 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 11 no. and below is booked up except for nazardine imavov i don't know if they want to do that with imavov just because he is you know him gone manon Firo, and now benoit saint denis are their kind of france you know contingent of fighters the the french fighters there and so i don't know if they do that you don't, because Imavov did get outpaced and beat up by Sean Strickland. Obviously, the styles are very different between Iron Turtle and Sean Strickland. But you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to see the see that. 
but I'm a little torn because the guy's on a four fight win streak. He probably deserves a ranked opponent. If you're yeah, not going to sure. give him a ranked opponent, you know, let's. And I know I bring his name up all the time, partially just because I want to see him fight everybody. Uh, but Kyle Bahalo, right? Yeah. Like, let's see that. Can that'll tell us a lot about Bahalo too? Like, can you handle that pace of somebody that's not going anywhere? That is not easy to finish. You know, how do you handle that? If not that, Bruno Silva, right? There is some name recognition there with Silva just because of the savage knockouts he's had in the UFC so far. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, maybe not ranked. Do you do an Iron Turtle Bo Nickel? Yeah, because Iron Turtle shows that he's very durable. Mm -hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah, that's a tough one. But I don't yeah. think he has the one punch power where you have to be like worried about your star prospect of prospects getting put out like, you know, one shot totally and being like, oh, no, <laughs> you know, we want totally, him to go. Totally agree. If, he, if he's going to do it like Bo Nickel, in theory, if he's like every other wrestler can always go, I got rocked. Let me go to my wrestling and mm -hmm. like out wrestle you. That's a good matchup. I'm yeah, not mad at that one. Yeah, that, that's one that, that I think would be kind of fun. Uh, and then another main card fight we had. Uh, Argentinian Drew Dober, Francisco Prado, I swear they're brothers, uh, taking on Otman Izatar. Yo, Prado's scary for a 21-year-old. 21, dude. Uh, I was actually watching this fight with my dad, and my dad was like, God, the guy just looks like young. I'm like, he is. And then he goes out there, and you're like, oh, okay, you're sp throwing spinning shit. Okay. You know? Dropped him with the elbow. Oof. I mean, the ground and pound was savage. You know, he's one in one. But his loss was to Jamie Malarkey in Australia on short notice, right? So, like, as a, I think he was 20 at the time, 20 or 21, doesn't matter. Uh, like, that's that's a tall order, right? You're going into hostile territory on short notice uh, against a guy who was a top 15 level lightweight. Uh, really, really high ceiling for Prado. Uh, I think Isatar's done, right? Uh, you know, two underwhelming performances i do get his argument for the end of the fight as far as like he had just created some distance he was giving the ref a thumbs up because the ref was saying he was going to stop it you know trying to say yeah. hey no 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 no, don't stop the second he stopped it he was like what are you doing um but it's hard right because it, it is and i get it's a main card but it's a fight night this isn't for a ranking or anything like that like do we need to see uh Atman go unconscious i don't think so uh but ultimately like he was getting the shit beat out of him right like francisco prado was just absolutely i mean had him hurt on the feet was dominating him on the ground nasty ground and pound i don't know what were your thoughts with stoppage i i don't think it was a bad stoppage at all i guess now that you're really making me think about it i guess i'm looking at it from the other side yeah but you're right i mean this isn't uh this isn't a get killed to show that you win. It's like save your career. You know, you guys, you guys are on. You're on a fight night. See another fight, but I guess think about it. It's like how long was the fight? You know, it's like I got yeah. I got lost. I, I lost that quick. Let me ask you this, um, Prado. Did he say he was moving to welterweight? Yeah, he did. He he like jokingly took the gloves off. I don't know if he was. Uh, just like joking and a, you know a little bit of lost in translation kind of deal there, because he doesn't it doesn't look like he has a frame for one seventy. Well, well, and I was about to say I know that like you know sometimes we'll see kind of smaller guys and then 
as they get older, they get big. But I'm like, you're 21, and it's like, yeah. So I would be real interested if it is one of those like lost in translation things because it was the joke just didn't land right. Like no. it was just, yeah, it's just it's uh, but I want to see him stay where he's at and see. I mean, he just looked real juiced up. He looked real energetic. He's young. We're just so many young people, man. We're just juiced so as in young people. Energy, not juiced as in. <laughs> PFL fighters. I mean, uh-huh. he, he he could be on that Polycosta, but um, no, I was talking about energized. Um, <laughs> but you just seen all these young people, and it's like, it's like, goddamn, people are so good nowadays. I know we, I know we say it all the time, but it's like, so people are so good. I, and I think part of it has to do with you know we talked about it in our uh, early music careers, uh, but with the like the prevalence of YouTube, right? Like this. Prado has lived in a fight pass world. Yep. Right. Where he has his whole life been able to see evolved MMA, right? Like when he was a little kid, that was Chuck Liddell, right? Like when he was a little kid, you had GSP, you know, whereas like I remember the first UFC event I ever saw, it was like a wrestler versus a boxer. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was sure, yeah. Don Fry. It was so it basic. Was, yeah, Keith Hackney, Gary Goodridge. It, like, it, it was just a very d- tank habit, right? Like, it was a very different game. And so, like, they've seen from Jump Street, like, what evolved MMA looks like. And they have the ability to go online and just be like, oh, you know, cor- Korean Zombie talked about it when he hit the twister. He was like, I saw somebody do that and looked up how to do it on YouTube. Right. Well, and like, it, it, that's also the world like, they live in. Now, now we're also living in an MMA world where you're seeing these phenomenal breakdowns. You're seeing so much, and you're like, yeah, imagine, imagine a guy that goes, Oh, I'm 10, 12 years old. I want to fight. And your first exposure, like you're saying, is Mighty Mouse. You're like, Oh, I have to learn how to do everything. Right. Oh. Instead of just saying I have to be really good at jujitsu. Um, so yeah, I mean. It's amazing to see. It's just scary. Yeah. <laughs> scary. Oh, yeah. I mean, the dude was born in 2002. Oh, right? my God. Yeah, dude. that makes me feel old. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just a really bright future. Don't rush this man, right? It's lightweight. We all know the Shark Tank that is lightweight. Like, let him just continue to build and build. Um He's yeah, he's he's scary good. I think one of the things they could do if Santiago Ponzinibbio ever fights again, you put him on a card with Ponzinibbio just with the the you know Argentinian connection there, kind of help build his star back home a little bit. Uh, but I'll I'll watch him fight fight anybody after that one. You for know sure. to, what too. he did to to Atman. And then for the main event, and I got this one right in our picks, and I think it's kind of like the the three point contest. Where you know they got like the stripe ball and that one counts double. I'm pretty oh, okay. sure main event counts double. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but uh Myra Boino Silva, I mean, for the talk she had coming into this fight, I'm gonna knock her out. She's not like her time's done. And then to come in and hit the ninja choke, you know, and and for those of you that don't know, ninja choke is basically a guillotine with a rear naked choke grip. It is savage, uh, and actually, that's how Bueno Silva got into the UFC. She hit a ninja choke uh, on the Contender Series, so she's got two. She is like a real-life ninja, uh, probably runs around with like the black mask and all that stuff in her free time. So jealous. But, yeah, yeah, exactly, right, because every kid wanted to be well, a ninja man, growing up. so bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but she comes out with bad intentions. Oh, my right? gosh, she hits. So, I mean, you just saw the difference. I mean, here's the thing. 
I, I watched this card with my dad, and my dad was like, you know, Holly Holmes should win. I was like, I mean, in a world where you're talking about like experience on the shit, yeah, Holly Holm came out looking old. And then when you when you see the hits, it's like there's someone hitting you, and then there's someone else blasting you. Um, she looked great, and I loved to see how shocked she looked for three hours after the win. Yeah, I loved it. Right? I mean, just like to be like, to, just to give that respect of like this is huge for me, God, and it yeah. is huge because maybe that means she's in the title shot next. You know? Oh yeah. She, I mean, she looked great. Um, yeah, she looked great, man. And she's got the personality, right? Like even kind of the like the second she let go of the choke, she was like crying. And then you saw her sit down just kind of in shock. And then she just kind of gave the like almost the Jordan shrug of like, yeah, you know, yeah. I do what I do. Yeah. Um, and she, you know, talk shit in the lead up to the fight after the fight. Uh, <laughs> Juliana Pena uh, would tweeted something out about her. You know, all these people have my name in their mouth and they asked uh, bueno Silva about it at the press conference and she just like genuinely just started laughing at Pena. It was just like I'd fuck Pe- you up. Pe- Pena is becoming like the Cejudo of that division where it's like we get it like you're getting a title shot yeah. and I get I get what you're, if, if I was in that division and Amanda Nunez left I'm doing the same thing as Pena but yeah. she's not making any and she's just not making any fans. Yeah yeah I'm with you. The uh and I also liked the, you know, after the fact, after the win, Bueno Silva being very open, you know, for those of you that list, that have listened to the podcast before, you know, I appreciate kind of candid talk by fighters and just talking about battling depression. You know, I mean, she basically said she was suicidal, that she didn't want to move on with her life. Uh, and then she met somebody that helped get her through that. And I, I love when these fighters take the platform they have to deliver a, a really important message. We've seen it with Khalil Roundtree. We've seen, and even for somebody who talks a bunch of shit with Patty Pimlet, like we've seen him use his platform uh, to, to try to further causes, you know, that can really, really help people. And especially when it comes to fighting and mental health, you know, there's this kind of an idea that talking about having mental health issues is, is weak. And to see people, you know, that have the mental fortitude to step into a cage uh, with, with another trained fighter and fuck them up. And absolutely, then, you know, talk openly about it. I, I love to see that. Uh, she also just started calling for the belt with, uh, which I get. She went full Ken flow, by the way. Full Ken flow. Yes. Yeah, so was like, I finished fights. Yeah, it was I, awesome. I laughed so hard. I was like, she's Ken flow, dude. <laughs> yes. It was awesome. Uh, now, I don't know if she gets the winner of Pennington Pena. She might have talked her way into it. Uh, but as we're going to talk about here, uh, previewing next week's card, there is a 135 fight of consequence between uh, Vieira, uh, Ketlin Vieira, and Penny Kianzid. So maybe the timelines match up and she gets the winner of that for a number one contender fight, especially because they haven't even announced Pennington Pena yet. So there's going to be time for that to happen. I know... Uh, Pennington is her and uh, her wife just had a, I believe Tisha Torres uh, just had a, a baby. Yep. So, you know, like she's, she's doing the mob thing. So I don't know if she is ready to fight. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that would line up better because realistically, this was far and away Buena Silva's biggest win and her first win against like a legitimate opponent. Say what you will about Holly Holm. She's older, but still you got to come correct to beat her. 
He's number three in the division. Exactly. Exactly. Know? So can she take advantage of a weak division? Maybe. Yes. You know, weak division, you talk well. Uh, you know, maybe she can, but ultimately I'd like to see one more test with that uh Ketlin Vieira Penny Kansas fight. I agree. And speaking of a test, why don't you just test out, see if that follow and subscribe buttons working there on uh, your podcast listening service of choice. Uh, so that way, you know, when the F updates drop on Friday nights, for those of you that are already following, you know, those kind of the time varies on when those are going to drop. So you need to be following. So you get notified of that. Also, rate, like, subscribe, once again, whatever your service does. Uh, so that way we can move on up on the lists and we can bring more people to the party. All right. So now that you have gone and followed on your respective uh, podcast listening service, we are going to hop into the preview of this upcoming card, UFC Fight Night in London, headlined by Tom Aspinall versus Martin Tybura. As always, we're going to start off with just some fighters to watch. And this card it is loaded. There's going to be fighters that I want to talk about, fights I want to talk about that just there's too much. Right. And so, you know, maybe people make an impression and then come next Monday, you know, when we're talking about it, uh, we'll, we'll talk about them. Uh, but we do have to try to limit the scope here as there is plenty to talk about already. And our fighters to watch. First one I want to talk about is Yanel Ashmus, uh, who is fighting Chris Duncan. This is at lightweight. He's seven and oh, six stoppages, uh, four by knockout, two by submission. Uh, he's one and oh in the UFC currently and has, his debut was against Sam Patterson, who, and this was also in in England, uh, I believe it was uh, the, whatever the last one uh, that they had there was, but he hit him uh, with a right hook and then finished him off, and it was one of the most terrifying things I've seen, or sorry, it was a left hook. He caught the kick, and then with the same hand he caught the kick with, fired a hook, uh, dropped him. Patterson was beaten so savagely that he when he was finally back on his feet he was trying to his whole camps around him like everyone's in the cage with him and he's trying to put mark goddard in a single collar tie like he's it's trying insane. to fight yeah trying to fight my mark goddard it was scary like eventually his coach is like in his face of just like hey man like we, we got to relax uh, but that's the type of thing that uh, yanel ashmoos can do to people so let's see if he can do it against chris duncan Oh, yeah. Uh, then we have uh, Joel Alvarez, also at lightweight, could not look more different than Ashmoos. I think Ashmoos has like a 5'9 reach, and Joel Alvarez is 6'3 with a 6'5 reach. Uh, he's 19 and 3 with 16 submission, submission victories. All 19 of his wins uh, have been by stoppage. So if my man's going to win, it's going to be a short fight. He is in. Of his three losses, only one went to decision. So regardless, quick fights. Uh, but these four and two in the UFC, those two losses, Demiris Magulov, Armin Sarukian. So not, that not sucks. so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, the Sarukian fight, that was his last fight, and he got the shit beat out of him. You know, we talked about it when we were talking about Sarukian before, but he got brutalized. I mean, just a savage, savage beating. That fight was like a year and a half ago, and this is his first time coming back. So we're going to see, like, has he recovered? He's fighting a guy who's definitely not as dangerous as Sarukian and Mark Jacasey, but somebody who has been been in the game for a while, been in the UFC for a while. So one of those kind of gritty veteran-type tests that he's going to have to overcome. Now, 
prior to getting the shit beat out of him by Sarukian, Alvarez had a great performance against Tiago Moises, right? Who was another crafty vet and just absolutely mauled him. Now, something that is a little scary for Alvarez, and it just makes you wonder if lightweight is the right weight class for him. Two of his last three fights, he's missed weight. Uh, and for somebody that is that big trying to make 155, you know, is it that time for him to move to 170? We'll see. Uh, especially since he's a since he's a grappler at heart, you would think having the extra weight would help him. Uh, but maybe he's just worried about the bigger frames. But like the frames aren't that much bigger than you, bro. You're six three, six you know? three, dude. Okay, yeah, yeah huge. Uh, but excited for that fight. Want to see you know what what Alvarez is now. You know, did Sarukian break him? Like, is he not ever going to be the same fighter? Fixing, I'm finding out. Uh, and then the other fighter, and this is actually the co-main event, but Meatball Molly, uh, Molly McCann, taking on Julia Stoliorenko at flyweight 125. And for those of you that are uh, as deep into this as, as I am, I know you're probably thinking, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, Stoliorenko at 125. And for those of you that aren't as deep into it, she is the fighter. You might have seen it on Twitter. She was going to make weight against Julia Avila at 135. So 10 pounds up, passes out on the scale. They then let her sit in a chair for a couple minutes and then step back on the scale. She made the weight, passed out again as she was stepping off the scale. And then a few minutes later, they canceled the fight. Like yeah, They were going to let this. Mm, that's the you, scary you, stuff. I, I, I hate to see that. And uh, you see that and then you're like, oh, you're at 125. Like what changed? And, and maybe. Yeah. Maybe everyone has that moment in life where it's like, I can't do this again, and now I need to get disciplined. So maybe it's a discipline thing. But come on, dude. First of all, terrible optics for the UFC, you know. But yeah, yeah, weird. And, and you're making it. The scary part is you're making it your co-main, right? You're oh. you're making it your co-main. So there's a lot riding on that. You better have somebody waiting in the wings. Um, and her last fight was against Chelsea Chandler, who we just saw, track athlete. Um. And she weighed in. That was a catch weight bout. And she weighed in at 139. So really just kind of strange that she's making the 125 debut here in a co-main event. And for somebody that's had trouble with, with making weight, you're going to go in there against one of the rare females that will put you out, right? Yep. Like Molly McCann's the reason I want to see. She's a pit bull. Yes, she right? Is. Like she wings hooks. When you saw what she did to uh, Luana Carolina, when you saw what she did against, uh, I believe it was Stephanie Egger, was that was the other fight after uh, after Carolina? Sorry, Hannah Goldie, well, muscle hamster Hannah Goldie. Uh, you know, just the power she brings. Now she got absolutely dominated by Aaron Blanchfield in her last fight, but Aaron Blanchfield, you know, possible future future title holder there. So I think we're we're gonna see uh, just something very savage happening with a very hard weight cut. And somebody that just bites down on their their mouthpiece and and throws. Now, can she overcome the grappling deficiencies that yep. she showed against Blanchfield? And is Stoliarenko the person to take advantage of that? We shall see. That's why I'm interested in that fight. Then we have a whole lot of very exciting fights. We touched on this one earlier. The uh, Ketlin Vieira, who's number four at bantamweight, against uh, Panikianza, who's number six at bantamweight. Obviously, a fight of consequence, like we talked about last week with the Myra Buena Silva and Holly Holm fight. 
right? This is a fight of consequence. I want to see. I think here's another instance, especially if it's Kianza that wins, if she has a spectacular performance where she could be next in line for a title shot, right? Like we don't know that's where that division is right now. There's a lot of kind of murkiness at the top. And so we might see that next title contender come forward here, or at least who's going to fight Myra Bueno Silva for a, a number one contender fight. And then we have our featured prelim. And this is like what featured prelims were made for. Yes. Uh, A.B. Grant versus uh, Daniel Marcos. This is at Bantamweight. Now, Marcos, <laughs> he is just dirty, grimy, like hurts people. You, you know, I mean, he had some nasty, nasty knees in the last fight works the body. And that's what I mean by just like grimy, right? Like he's not sitting out there kind of looking pretty touching the face. No, he's, he wants to take your gas tank away, right? Like he's 14 and 0, eight KOs. He's not worried about taking this to the ground. Despite Davy Grant's crazy inverted triangle in his last fight, he's not trying to take it to the ground, right? We have two people that are going to stand there and just throw down. There's a reason they call him dangerous. Davy Grant. My man is 13 and six. Was that 11 of his wins have come by stoppage? Uh, he doesn't know how to be boring. He's kind of like Nate Lamweir in that sense. Like he just doesn't, doesn't understand it. He's like, boring, don't know what that is. Uh, it's not in him. You know, he's one of those people that's probably a coach's nightmare where it's like, hey, man, just stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like on, you man. keep getting into firefights. Uh, but the, the man is must see TV. He's never out of a fight. He was. You know, fading in round two against uh, Luis Smolko before he put him away. He was losing. To a Sun Sal, uh, you know, needed he had had a point deducted, needed a finish uh, in round three, and got it with that crazy end to that fight where Sun Sal's winning third round. There was the point deducted by Davy, uh, point deducted from Davy Grant, I should say, for the fence grab, but they stood it back up, even though a Sun Sal had worked to get it to the ground, and then immediately Davy Grant hurts him with spinning shit, a little spinning back fist. Um, Sun Sal dove for the leg, and then that's where he went crazy with the. See, he went inverted uh, on <laughs> on the triangle there, uh, and that was the one where Sunset was out for a while, and like because oh, wow. how his arms were trapped, you couldn't tell oh, yeah. he was out. It was kind of Kevin Lee scary. scary. Yeah, re- really scary. Uh, but that one is going to be just a an awesome fight. I I can confidently say that you know a lot of times it doesn't always turn out uh, in the actual fight as it does on paper, but this is one where if it is not a crazy fight, I will I will be shocked. Well, it's the feature prelim, so it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's it's designed for yeah. reggaeton air horns and violence. And so <laughs> yes, that, that's what we're exactly. looking for. Um, and then middleweight fight, we have Andre Muniz taking on Paul Craig. Now, Paul Craig, come on, Craig. Come on, uh, Craig. He, <laughs> he is, a, at one time, was a top 10 light heavyweight. He's making his middleweight debut, which might be a little worrisome. He's 35 years old. Generally, you don't see people moving down at that age. But, I mean, he's a grappler. He is a true specialist grappler. And so maybe that weight cut is going to help him in being the bigger man. This is going to be as high level of an MMA grappling match as you can see. Between the two of them, they have 39 wins. 28 of those have come by submission. Right. Jesus. And we're talking modern MMA, not where like back in the day you could can open or somebody for for a submission or like triangles were easy. Right. Like we're we're talking about 
it's as hard to get a submission nowadays, especially with like not rear naked chokes, right? You know, arm bars, triangles, and these guys are getting those. And both have only been submitted once, right? And Brendan Allen was via rear naked choke, or sorry, Muniz was via rear naked choke his last fight against Brendan Allen. You know, Craig has that nasty triangle. Muniz has has the arm bar. As somebody who has trained very little in jujitsu, uh, but but enjoys it, I'm I'm really excited for this. Right? I want to see, and of course, you know, it's going to end up turning out where it's like a full on stand up fight because yeah, neither guy sure. wants to go to the ground. So sure. That's usually how it happens. Uh, but really excited to see that. I want to see how how Paul Craig's uh, grappling translates down a weight class, um, and then featherweight fight that I am very excited about because I think it is just going to be violence is Lerone Murphy versus Josh Kulubau. Now, Lerone Murphy, undefeated, 12-0-1, seven stoppages uh, coming by KO or or TKO. Never out of a fight. He was getting out-wrestled by Makwan Amir Khani, made the adjustment between rounds and was like, all right, when this fucker shoots, I'm hitting him with the knee. <laughs> and sure enough, he did, um, you know, and, and it was, it was scary. Uh, Mirakani was out, uh, but Lerone Murphy can get out wrestled. Now that being said, Josh Coolibau, not, not really a wrestler right now. He's 10, one and one. His only loss was to Jalen Turner short notice at lightweight. Right. So fighting up, but he's got nice striking, you know, good hands. He had some savage leg kicks in his last fight. And he backed Azarian, who we were talking about from last week's featured prelim. Uh, he dropped him with a jab and like sn- took the back, snatched up the neck in like one really kind of quick, swift motion. And Kulibau's not really known as, as a grappler. So it was kind of cool to see that part of his game. I think this is going to be stand-up fireworks for, for as long as it lasts. Don't see it go in the distance, but it's going to be some fun while it does. Absolutely. And then the main event, uh, we have the return of Tom Aspinall, which at one point everyone was saying next next heavyweight champ, right? Like he was he was that guy. They were setting him up for that with the fight against Curtis Blades, where he had uh, you know the kick that that totally shredded his knee. Uh, but he's taking on number ten Marcin Tybura. Now. Tybura has twice the experience of Tom Aspinall, right? So it's not like an easy out by any means. He did have a bit of a rough patch where I think he lost three of four, but has since won seven of his last eight. So Tybura has kind of adapted his style a little bit now, not really going for the finish as much. He has a a good amount of decision victories. Um, But that loss in his last eight was to Volkov, who Aspinall put out with a straight arm bar in under four minutes. So, you know, you can't really do MMA math, but as far as common opponents go, we won't call it MMA math. uh, You know, there is a discrepancy there. Now, Tybor is resilient, right? He's not going to go anywhere. He hasn't been finished in four years. And so this is, in my opinion, as good of a comeback opponent as you can have for Tom Aspinall, right? Because he was was knocking on the door, full Drickus, when he was fighting Curtis Blades, right? That was, hey, you win this, you are the next guy. This is before John Jones was ready to fight at heavyweight, right? He was that next yep. dude. And I'm glad they're not like, cool, you're back. Let's put you in there with Cyril gone. <laughs> you yeah, know, like I'm it. I'm really glad they're not doing that. Aspinall, um 12 and 3, 
All of his wins have come by stoppage. He's five and one in the UFC with that one loss being to Curtis Blades on a uh, you know freak injury on on a kick. He's been out for almost a year now, though, and so that is you know how does he return? Because he was that Cyril Gone type, that new breed of heavyweight, where it's like, oh, this guy is he's listed six five. I don't think he's six five. I think he's probably like six two, six three when you see him standing next to other people. But that like. Six five, two hundred forty pounds. You know, just that moves like a you know light heavyweight or a middleweight. Just very athletic, good hands. But his hands are so fast. But he's also jujitsu black belt. Like that was yep. his first martial art, and so he's very very well rounded. We're finally starting to see those well rounded fighters at heavyweight now because it was basically big guys that could punch for a long time and then you would have the wrestlers come along like a DC, you know, who could just dominate people with grappling and Aspinall is part of that new breed that has it all. And he's creative. He does some filthy, filthy things coming off the knee uh, to the body in the clinch against Jake Collier, his first fight at heavyweight throws the knee in the clinch and immediately upon separating one, two drops Jake Collier right then and there. Uh, and then against Sergey Spivak, which that win now is, is aging pretty well. Right, Sergey Spivak has looked really good lately, but same thing has him in the clinch, knee the body, throws the elbow coming off of it, rocks him, drops him. Right, like he's he's creative. He's never sitting there like there's not a a lull for him. Right, like everything is an opportunity for violence, and I'm hoping he still has that. Right, he'd lost fights before, so I'm not really concerned about that psychological aspect of it. But I am a little concerned about, you know, you wreck your knee like that. Yeah. Are you, are you going to continue to throw kicks the same way? Are you going to continue to check kicks the same way? Like, you know, do you trust the knee? Are you, has the athleticism gone away to some degree because of that? At, at least on this first return fight, right? Like where it's like, you got to get your confidence back. You don't know what it's going to be like to do that because, you know, he's in training, but you don't know what it's going to be like in action until you do it. And if, if if he's just one of these people that's like I'm good, then you know he yeah. might not miss a beat, but it's got to be in the back of your mind. Yeah, and especially like you haven't had, you haven't been in the cage from a fight standpoint for almost a year, and you've never been out of the second round in your life. You know his longest fight in the past seven years was against Andre Arlovsky when he finished him in six minutes. Right, so, so crazy. But Ty Burr is the kind of guy that's going to drag you into deep waters. Yep. But I do think it's a really good test because Ty Burr, as much, you know, obviously they're heavyweights, they're 250 pound guys. You can get knocked out. But Ty Burr doesn't have that Derek Lewis, Ty Tuivasa, like, I'm going to touch you once and you're going to go down type power. Yeah. So it's almost the perfect opponent for that return of you're going to get an opportunity with somebody who's probably going to make you fight longer than you have in the UFC before. And you're in danger. Like, let's not get it twisted, but not that immediate sense of danger of like one punch and the fight's over. You know, you might get hit and hurt, but you're going to have that opportunity to recover. Watching now that I'm saying this, he's going to get like one hit or quitter. Well, well also, yeah, for sure. But also it's like when you have a knee injury, you know that they're not like running to get that car. So if you have someone that's willing to, kind of make the fight go longer. It's like, okay, what does your cardio look like after having a wreck knee? Now, he could be someone that these people are freaks in nature anyways, and his knee's fine. He's been running. He's been doing whatever cardio. But it's something that we'll look at, and we'll see how if the fight gets dragged in, if he doesn't just go out there and starch. 
kind of like, okay, does he look like he's tired? You know, so it'll mm-hmm. be interesting. And, and it helps out that they don't really have to cut weight, but they're big. So it's like a whole bunch of factors that Tom Aspinall is exciting enough that it's it's like, at very least, you just want to see him at his best, even if he loses. Mm-hmm. Um, So we'll see. Yeah. And the excitement of like hometown crowd main event. Oh, yes. Oh, right? yes. And now lucky for Aspinall, he has the experience of having done that against Volkov in the last uh, not the pay-per-view London card, but the one prior to that. So lucky for him, he has that experience already, but he talked about it. Like that was, he'd only fought in the apex initially in the UFC. And so he, he was very open about, you know, this is, I'm interested to see how I respond. You know, he's yeah. like, I've never fought in front of 20,000 people. Like I want to see how my body responds to that. And so it'll be interesting now headlining, preparing for five rounds, Right. And a big atmosphere for your return for right, you, like, dude. It's it's, yeah. it's not like a 20,000 fans of hostile fans. You know, it's like mm-hmm. these people want to see you win and you better fucking win, you know? Yeah. And like every card, when they travel overseas, there's British fighters all up and down the card. And sure. Meatball Molly is a, it, you know, does have that star quality to her. But like you don't have Patty Pimlin on this card. I know. We you know who. Yeah, I, apparently he had gotten hurt. I think I heard in in training, and so he's yeah on the shelf. But the so you don't have that other person to kind of shoulder the responsibility of carrying fight week, right? Because yeah. even though he headlined the last one, you had Patty on the card, like the press conference, all of that. Like Patty's shouldering most of the weight there, right? Yeah, like for she's sure. carrying that. And you don't really have that now. So your return fight, you are the guy. You know, how how are you gonna handle that? I also think this is a great opportunity for some other stars to emerge, right? Like who's who's gonna have that good line during the press conference? You know, who who is going probably to probably Molly, you know? Yeah, pr- probably. Yeah, probably Molly. But like who's gonna have that moment on the card where crazy knockout or hell of a fight and then you know, the crowd's going crazy and all of a sudden we have a new star in our hands. And and that's one of the one of the great things about the live cards too, right? Or the I shouldn't say live card, the ones in front of a crowd. Yes. Because because you better believe if last night's card happened, you know, in front of a crowd, people are going nuts for for Basil, right? They're going Absolutely. nuts for that dude. They're going nuts for the Evan Elder fight. Um yeah, so it's they're going nuts for Bueno Silva, you know. They're going nuts for even even the way she talked afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, like the like you're saying in front of a live crowd, those those uh those extra remarks are heightened. You know, it's oh, just yeah. better. And and the British fans are crazy, oh, right? Like they're, they're like amazing. straight hooligans. You know, yes, there's like beers being amazing. thrown. Like it is a great one of my all time favorite cards that I've watched was that London card we were talking about the Aspinall Volkov card where you know Meatball Molly had the spinning elbow and just shut off Luana Carolina you know Patty had the big win then Aspinall comes out in under four minutes you know I mean like that card just in general you know the the English guy lost but that was Ilya Taporia uh, against Jai Herbert where he had the you know the nasty body shot and then went up top there's something about the energy over there that like brings out the best of these fighters, even if they themselves are not the British fighter. Right. So I'm, this is one of those cards I'm pumped for and it's a daytime card. Hell yes. Thank you. You got prelims starting at noon Eastern. So you can watch a bunch of awesome fights and then like have an evening, (laughs) you know, still go out and do what you want to on a Saturday night. So really pumped for that card. Can't, 
can't wait to see like that return of Aspinall. You know, who no, yeah, who is he? Is he back to form? This is I think this is gonna be a a, a great card. Like when when it's said and done, it's gonna be like, damn, that was a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then do you have some fight announcements from last week? Uh and before getting into that, there was a, a major injury. A Jamal Hill, light heavyweight uh champion, tours Achilles. Some of you might have seen footage not of him tearing his Achilles, but of the UFC basketball game that they had during International Fight Week. Uh, and apparently Jamal Hill tore his Achilles during that. Best case scenario, it's a six-month layoff, but generally it, you're talking around a year. And so in the fashion of Yuri Prohaska, who did it before him in a similar situation where he knew he was going to be out for a year, Jamal Hill vacated the belt. Which yes. ah, just yeah, this, div- this division is just it's such a bummer because it's not like this happened 10 years ago. It's like this happened again. You know, yeah. it feels like it happened again. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate for Jamal Hill to give the belt away. And then now we're having another people. It's just weird. This one feels weird, man. Yeah. And so then the that takes us into uh, who that injury is good for. Uh, and on UFC 291, that's Gaethje versus Poirier, which I know you had to have loved it seeing on the uh, all the promos. Uh, from the the home Bueno Silva card where they're talking about the BMF championship belts so on the line. Dumb. It's um, so dumb. And so now on UFC's Facebook, they were talking about two title fights being on that card, which first of all, yeah, it is a title fight. You're right. BMF belt title fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, the most important belt in yes. combat sports. Yeah. yeah. I, hey, it's how many BMF champions have there been? One. Right. There's been more than one champion in every other division. So, yeah, hardest belt to win in the world. (laughs) Stupid. And so the other we're assuming here, but really the only other title fight could be Jan Blahovich versus uh, Alex Pajeda for the light heavyweight belt, which, you know, good for them. But, you know, Poetan has not fought at 205 and now you're putting him in there for his first fight for a title. Like it, if he wins, that's kind of weird. Uh, if he doesn't win, what happens now? Like it, it's a really weird. Plus, you have like a, um, I wanted to say a real belt, uh, being there before <laughs> the the BMF belt, but I think the BMF belt is the realest of belts. <laughs> um, but so then you have the light heavyweight title as the co-main, and then the baddest motherfucker on the planet uh, as the the main event. So. We'll see it's, if it's, they actually officially announce it, but looks like that's going to be a title fight. And if they do, it's like, let's say Jan wins. I'm the champion to a guy that hasn't fought in this division. It's so dumb. Well, like person- belts only matter when belts matter. Belts don't matter when you're doing this. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like when they gave when Yair Emmett was for an interim belt. Because Volkanovski took one fight at 155, even though he's like an active 145 champ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I I don't get it. And the person that's getting fucked over is Magomed Hunkalaev, right? Oh, because yeah. because he fought Yon to a draw. I personally thought he won the fight, but that's neither here nor there. But now, whoever wins Poetan Yan is going to fight Yuri when Yuri comes back for the belt, right? Like Yuri didn't lose his belt. He vacated it. So you got to give him the next title shot. And so uncle, I was just twiddling his thumbs. And then after that, 
is the next title shot then Jamal Hill? Will he be healthy by then? Right. So now you're looking at for Uncle Live because they're made they're potentially, it hasn't been made official, yeah, potentially yeah, making this a title fight. You're talking about Uncle Live having to fight down for the next year and a half, maybe two years. Unless they Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's that division is strange. It needs to find itself again. <laughs> it just needs yeah. to find itself. Yeah, it, it's a shame too because there are really good fighters there, right? The uh, Johnny Walker's been on a run. Magomed Ankalaev is really, really, really good. Jan Blahovich, really, really good. But you're just bringing somebody who has what eight fights uh, total in MMA who has never fought in the division, and you're putting them in there now. If he wins the belt, okay, great. Um, but if not, it's almost like a, a waste, you know, of a of an opportunity for it's a super else. it's a super waste because if uh Alex Pajeda loses, no one's gonna believe that he can do it, right? And he's gonna have the same loss to the same light heavyweight that Izzy did. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's just and, one of those weird it's weird. We no, know, we know Jan has the wherewithal to be like, Yeah, fuck that, I'm wrestling, <laughs> right? Because he did it Why against Why wouldn't Izzy. you? And, and here's the thing: it's like Yon can take a punch. Mm-hmm. He's bigger, and when you really look at it, Poetan stands straight up. It's like I'm taking you down, dude. Like I don't know. Maybe it'll just be one of these fucking amazing fights, and like yeah. we'll we'll believe afterwards. But I, I mean, uh, unfortunately for Yon, it's like okay, you beat him. Okay, I mean, we'll talk about it more. But yeah, but like yeah. all that being said, I'm still really really excited for the for fight. Sure, <laughs> I just for don't sure. think it should be a five rounds and B for a title. That's it. Fight's still going to be awesome. However, the stakes, not a fan of that. But if there's one card where you're going to put another belt that may not matter, it's that one. Yeah. Right. You're going to have to. Yeah, because why do you need another belt that matters when you already have the (laughs) only belt that matters on the card? Some would say the Trillist, but. Oh, yes. Yes. Yin Yang twins. Right. Um, so UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi, that card is finally starting to come together a little bit. Uh, that's on October 21st and return to Abu Dhabi. Uh, obviously I think we're all waiting for them to make the announcement of who Islam is defending his belt against. Exactly. Because that's, that's the talk. The other talk is, you know, Hamzat being on that card. So there's still sure. a lot of announcements for this card, but we do have, uh, a big time flyweight matchup. Number 10, Tim Elliott against number 11, Mohammed Mokayev. Love it. Huge test for Makayev, right? Like we all know Tim Elliott is not going to win a title after he had a chance, right? At one point in his career, Uh, we know he's not going to win a title, but he's the type where definition of gatekeeper, right? Like you better come correct or he's going to make you look foolish. And as a, and plus his style so hard to deal with because he's awkward. This is going to be a really, really big test for Makayev, especially after he hurt his knee pretty badly in his last fight because he's a G and just didn't tap to a knee bar. Um, but like was training relatively soon after it'll be interesting to see if he is still the same guy or if maybe that like young man overconfidence presented a, you know, could potentially hamper his career, but awesome. You know, flyweights, you guys know how I feel about flyweights. I'll watch them any day because it's going to be nonstop energy, especially number 10 versus number 11. Sign me up. Uh, And then, yeah. And then speaking of flyweights to bantamweights, because we have Davison Figueredo. Apparently now he's fighting at bantamweight again. Uh, But he did also say, if they offer me the title fight at 125, then yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. Why not? Uh, But 
they are saying that they are trying to get it signed uh, by they, I mean, Figueredo and his manager, not some unknown they, uh, but we <laughs> is taking on Dominic Cruz, number nine bantamweight. Should be interesting. Both these guys are a little longer in the tooth. Uh, I know it seems like Figueredo is relatively young, but he's about the same age as Cruz. I think he's 37, uh, which for wow. for smaller fighters is is up there in age. Uh, but sign me up. I'll, I'll watch Dominic Cruz any day of the week. Uh, and then to have him in there with another dangerous guy, like let's see what Figueredo is at 135. That That's exciting. Yeah. So now we, we got two... In this one, they announced it, but I don't think it's actually been signed yet because of the possibility of Figueredo fighting Pantoja for the flyweight belt. But if this is on there, we already have the start to a phenomenal card uh, in Abu Dhabi. Yep, exactly. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a huge Cruz fan. can't wait to see it, but I just have this feeling. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited for it just because like Cruz was that guy when we were really, you know, years ago as we were, We've watched MMA for a long time, but as we were really getting into yes. it, he was that dude. Him versus Garbrandt is like one of the all-time fights, in my opinion, of like expectation versus what actually happened. Mm -hmm. So there's always like a soft spot there for Dominic Cruz. So just excited to see him fight again. Uh, and do not forget, go over to Twitter, uh, follow at number one BS pod. That way you can... Uh, see our fight picks on Friday. Uh, we'll talk about the scoring in the main event. You know, we can, we can hash that out, uh, but you can get those fight picks on Friday night as well as voting in the featured prelim poll uh, every single Friday. Anything else on your end? No, sir. All right. Appreciate you, brother. Love and respect. Later.